0: what's up everyone welcome back to another episode of the antler up podcast and we have some exciting stuff coming your way Uh, this is the first episode regarding our western style series that we're going to have coming on in these next couple weeks and we have a great guest uh, we're joined by mark Hilsing with exo mountain gear and hunt backcountry podcast uh and again I, like i said this is the first of our western hunting series and in this episode mark's t- talks to us about picking which state to choose when deciding to head out west what to look for while you're e-scouting some backcountry tips and obviously some backcountry hunting gear Dimitri and I really enjoyed having Mark on. It was a great pleasure to have him on. So thanks Mark to, for coming up and uh, chatting with us and be sure to check out the awesome podcast that they have going on at, over at Hunt Backcountry Podcast and then obviously the awesome Exo uh, Mountain Gear uh, packs and frames that they have going on on their website. And obviously a huge, huge thank you to all of you for listening, for your continued support. Uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, helping us out, developing, growing. uh, And we just absolutely love what we're doing right now. And we hope to continue uh, to continue to put out some good, fun, uh, entertaining content to you all, uh, where we all can learn and develop and get better as archers, as hunters, uh, and and as people. So thank you again for all your support. And obviously, a huge thank you uh, goes out to our amazing partners. So please be sure to check them out over on our website, over on our partners page. Uh, Some great people behind all the companies that we work with, and we really appreciate all their support. Uh, and let's start with, you know, right off the bat from this past weekend, I got my money's worth using the Onyx Hunt app. I went back home to visit my dad to help complete some whitetail habitat work. And while I was there, I pulled up the app and I helped my dad uh, prep some trees and put some cameras out. And, uh, and we checked out most of the spots that we had marked with waypoints from early uh, towards the end of the season and then early spring. Uh, so now I have him all set up with the app. So he's able to know exactly where he stands, where to find the trail cameras and mark some extra potential trees that we're gonna get up uh, and hunt when the season comes in. So there's more awesome features over on Onyx Hunt's app. Uh, and again, for just 30 bucks, I'm pretty sure this is gonna be the one tool that you'll use most while while this upcoming hunting season. So go check them out over at onyxmaps.com and download that number one hunting app. And also this past weekend, I know I've mentioned, but before of the first light guide light shorts on a previous podcast, but about how comfortable they were. But man, I'll tell you what, this weekend, uh, I got to see just how durable and how awesome they were because while we were out there working, we got some rain on the mountain, and I'm actually really glad I wore those those shorts because they dried quick and they were comfortable all day. Uh, and they were the perfect summer shorts with the stretchy and DWR material, so amazing quality, amazing product, uh, and obviously some awesome people over there at First Light. So go check the, out our Items that we use from First Light over at firstlight.com. And last week's episode with AJ from Coda was such a fun episode to record. We decided to do a giveaway with our Sever Broadheads. We gave away uh, the 1.5s, and I, that also came with a, a case. Uh, so, congrats to our winner over there. And uh, also be on the lookout for some more new items coming from Sever because there's some new stuff that will be dropping within the next week or week and a half. Uh, so, I can't wait to see what's in store from them. And also check out when you're over there, make sure you look over at the early season specials because right now if you use titanium seven as a code, you'll get seven broadheads for the price of six uh, as well as some free shipping. And also be sure to go sign up for some free instructional content over at Easton Archery with their Bowhunter Basecamp program, some awesome content from trail cam replacement to creating the perfect shot opportunity. And even there's so much stuff you could do some giveaways that are going on weekly with them. Uh, So all free and designed to make you a better bowhunter. So check out that Bowhunter Basecamp over at Easton Archery partners uh is our Argali bag that we'll be bringing out west for us this upcoming year obviously their their carbon knife that we got a chance to use during turkey season uh brad's an awesome individual some great people there at Argali, and uh awesome products so really ho- looking forward to putting those bags to the test and then the, the last one that i want to talk to is the stoker stabilizer that i use i use that uh m1 hunter uh Stabilizer the 14 uh, inch one. So I have the weight in the front and the back on that one side because I shoot with my quiver on. Uh, it stops that vibration. It, I've noticed the benefits when I'm on my back wall, just how awesome it feels balanced. Man, great people, Sean and Kyle over there with Stoker Eyes, proudly made in the USA. And obviously right here in Pennsylvania, love to support that as well. So check out the new M1 series with that small micro diameter stabilizer over at stokerized.com. And thank you again, everybody for listening. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. I really hope you guys and girls enjoy this episode and get something out of it. Again, we're really excited about these next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be diving into a little bit of a Western series. Uh, then obviously once August rolls around, we're going to be pounding the ground hard with some whitetail content for you guys and girls. Uh, really hope you enjoy it. And if there's something that you, you want to hear specifically, you know, shoot us a message, we'll, we'll get back to you. And everybody that... Uh, Got those stickers in, man. Make sure you tag us and where you're you're uh, slapping those on. We'll, we'll be p- amped to see all that stuff. So again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, antler up. Hey everyone, we are live with another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Dimitri and I are joined by Mark with Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry Podcast, and we are so excited to have you on today. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to chat. Awesome.
0: Yeah, we we were uh, pumped to get you on uh, to have this conversation because I know myself and Dimitri We love listening to the humpback country podcast Um and for us too since we're gearing up for our first trip out west It's something where we, you guys are hitting with that mule deer series and we're kind of Uh gonna start doing that coming up in july So mark you're gonna be our first one regarding the mule deer questions and kind of that rapid fire that we want to get Uh, just a little bit knowledge and, and have a good base of of, of uh, content before we head out there, so thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, you bet, man. I'm uh, I'm a lot like you guys, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm originally from Missouri, still live here full time. I've uh, been hunting out west for oh goodness, eight, nine years, something like that. Um, so and it's you know, it's uh, I've been on the struggle bus just like everybody else. <laughs> I filled some tags and had some good hunts and had some hunts that blew up in my face that's part of the experience right yeah absolutely and that's and honestly uh
0: man dimitri that was we had tim on what episode three
2: yeah episode three
0: uh so mark our buddy tim who w- will be coming out uh with us uh, when we come out in august uh he's been doing it for at least eight to ten years and he's had success he's actually been very successful the last two years two years ago he took a a nice mule deer off of uh in Idaho and then took a nice big bull elk in Idaho too last year so it kind of changed it up a little bit we decided to do Utah and kind of go out together as a group so um oh awesome yeah and so, that's for deer uh yeah we're gonna go for mule deer we're gonna go for cool. that that uh early season so that's what too we wanted to look, get a little bit of insight on that I know uh you kind of uh, talked about it on this past week's episode uh a little bit about talking like trying to scouting the mule deer and everything like that so when when's a good time for pattern and all that stuff so we want to just dive into that too a little bit but before we do that mark you talked about your front like still living in missouri tell us who you are and where you're coming from and a little bit about your hunting background
1: yeah um yeah from missouri born and raised grew up uh hunting just casually my dad didn't hunt. Uh, my grandfather did hunt. So I was hunting with him. You know, that was started, I I guess before hunting, I was shooting. Uh, I love just shooting. I still do, but like do classic shooting soda cans off a fence post with the 22 Deal deals, how that got rolling. Uh, and eventually got in the woods with my grandpa and, you know, small game squirrels, rabbits, uh, and then started deer hunting When I got into middle school, high school, I wasn't hunting much just because I was so busy, uh, you know, with school and sports and, uh, girls a little bit too, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then, so it was basically after college, uh, when I graduated school and found myself with more free time to do what I wanted to do at that point, I was like, man, I really want to hunt more. And I had never, uh, bow hunted at that point. I had shot bows like at camp or with buddies or what have you, but I didn't own a bow. And I really picked up a bow just so I could extend my season. Um, I mean, in Missouri, when you look at the firearm season, it's short, you know, it's uh, the main season's 10 days long, that type of deal. But you pick up a bow and now I could hunt from mid-September to mid-January for whitetail. And so I was like, man, that's, that's totally different. That's a game changer. So (laughs) when I picked up a bow, it was mainly to extend my season and I had zero, uh, I had no idea how much i just love shooting a bow. And so when I got to bow hunting. I loved the pursuit of bow hunting, but just realized I loved archery. And so, um, I did all that self-taught and just took a deep dive on archery side of things. Eventually started, um, getting in the quote unquote industry a little bit. I was like pro staff with elite archery and then also decided I want to start hunting out West. So then I started planning an elk hunt and, um, just for my own sanity and kind of thinking out loud and documenting what I was researching and learning. I started writing about my preparation to hunt elk for the first time out West. Uh, and this was, I mean, not that long ago when you look at, you know, call it 20, gosh, I don't know what that was. Um, I started probably in 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, Uh, with looking at going out west and so but you didn't have resources like go hunts or the university of elk hunting you didn't have all the podcasts you have now and so it was much more like there's information out there but it was more just forums and like very scattered stuff right and uh anyway i was blogging about that and then again zero intentions of like trying to get a following but started writing and then people started reading it which was a shocker um (laughs) and then had the opportunity to then start writing for other places like bowhunting.com and so um yeah i just found myself somehow some way kind of connected to the industry a little bit be it with doing like pro staff stuff or uh writing and all that um, in the midst of that, I met Steve Speck, who's a, a, a guy from Idaho um, who owned a company at the time that still does called SNS Archery. Started helping him a little bit on the tech side. So my day job was essentially in IT. That's pretty cool. Uh, I, to, I've, I've actually ordered
0: a few uh, products from him just online, just because actually my black gold site that I have on my VXR28 is from SNS Archery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I was the same way, to be honest with you. I was, I called him, uh, cause his phone number was on the website and had questions about a black gold site and talked about that. And then he was connected with the lead archery. And so then I eventually met him and we just kind of started running the same circles and then I started helping him a little bit. And, uh, just to fast forward, he started a company called Exo mountain gear to make pack systems. Uh, he told me about, you know, starting this company and building that product and, again helped them there kind of on the tech side of getting the first website up and running and all that and uh that was 2013 2014 um launched product in 2014 was the first year um that exo like actually had product on the market um and then over since then you know we've grown and I went from helping on the side type deals to now being a, a full-time exo employee so I'm the one and only guy. I'm still in Missouri. Exo is based in Idaho and via the magic of the internet, I just work from home. That's pretty awesome, man. That's thank you for sharing all that because that's such a cool
0: thing. Just because for on our part, you know, you were saying starting back in twenty twelve, there what like the forums is where you're getting information and a little bit here and there now, there's so much out there for us. It's almost like as we're planning this, it was almost too much uh yeah <laughs> like it's like oh my gosh like which one do you you to have though. yeah it, it right. is a good yeah. problem to have and uh it's just come so long dimitri and i we we've been dabbling a little bit of how you said it just starting to write a little bit and it's been really helpful and even if, if no one reads it or if nobody picks something up, it's just been helpful for us to kind of, uh, get our thoughts down and, and make a plan of attack for a hunt or, uh, for right now, like we're going to start on our YouTube series, um, coming up shortly. Uh, Dimitri is a physical therapist. So we're going to run a little mini, mini series regarding like getting, strengthening your, your shoulders specifically for bow hunting, just stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that's been really helpful. He helpful. He wrote a, a really great article. So we're going to post that on our
1: website here soon as well. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, it's uh for me, it was like me writing was essentially thinking out loud. Like it helped me process it. Um, just like you guys were saying, I, I literally remember the first time I had, I, I had my website apparently set up to email me when somebody left a comment, but that never happened. So I didn't even know that that was a feature. And I literally remember getting this email one time of like somebody commented on something. And I was like, what? Somebody's reading this? Uh, yeah, I remember those days for sure. It was funny. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, so let's get into a little bit about starting the process of you know planning our out west trip. I know for us, this is our first one. And I think the hardest thing for us was just trying to figure out First of all, what state are we gonna pick? Then out of that state, you're trying to narrow it down to a specific area in the state. And then uh, at the end, you're actually picking a unit. Can you go through that process of how someone that's doing this for the first time should go about that and kind of narrow down their selection of one, what species are they gonna pick to hunt? And then two, what area to focus on?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wish there was an answer to that question because it is uh, especially, you know, like you guys being from Pennsylvania, me being from Missouri, guys in similar states, like that whole concept even of units and drawing tags. And I mean, there's so many different rules in Western states. Um, there's so many different, you know, you look at like getting the tag in some states, it's over the counter. Some states you have preference points, some t- states you have bonus points. Those can mean different things you can have different states with different rules for different species uh it gets super confusing even like i still get tripped up if you look at wyoming for example you typically a unit is a geographical area but they'll have different unit designations for different species in the same area which is even more confusing (laughs) Uh, so it is intimidating long story short Uh, to look at that process from like a super high level i mean you mentioned it i would start with picking out Species, like what do I want to hunt? Do I want to go on a mule deer hunt? Do I want to go on an elk hunt? Do I want to go on an antelope hunt? Um, And that's where I'd start. And you might say that you want to do all, and that's great, and you can look at all, but I think it's helpful to start with looking at a species because you can then look at okay, well, what states uh, allow me to hunt that species? what states allow me to hunt that species relatively easily, um, meaning you can get a tag for it. You're not just stuck um, on waiting forever, right? Like if you said, I want to go hunt elk, you can start looking at Arizona and Utah and Colorado and Idaho and Montana and other states and quickly figure out, okay, well, hunting elk in Arizona isn't going to happen next year. Um, but I could hunt elk next year in Colorado, Idaho, good chance in Montana, that type of deal. So I start with species and then start to break down state. As you guys mentioned, um, you know, once you figure out species and state, you do obviously within a state narrow down an area. And again, a lot of that comes down to what areas can I hunt? Um, because again, you take a state like Colorado, there's a lot of over-the-counter opportunity. You can just go get an elk tag. And then there's certain areas that, um, you know, you have to draw an elk tag, right? So by the nature of your tag and what type of um, tag you're looking at, especially if you stick with an over-the-counter, that's automatically going to funnel within a state, the certain areas that you can hunt. And then I, you know, I would look at, okay, well, what type of country do I want to hunt? And that could even be part of the state that you choose, um, is what type of terrain are you looking for? To me, that comes down to your preference in terms of what type of terrain do I want to hunt? I mean, hunting elk in, you know, New Mexico is going to be very different country than hunting elk in Idaho. Um, maybe you have a preference, maybe you don't. I'd also look at your physical capabilities. Um, especially, if you're older or if you're newer, you know, if you're from out east, you just haven't spent much time in the mountains. Um, that's not to say you can't go hunt rough country. You just have to prepare to do it and have to be realistic about not only can I hunt there, uh, but then what happens if I actually do fill my tag and I'm in this rough country miles away from wherever can I actually get that animal out of there and take care of that meat properly. So being realistic about, uh, what is possible. Um, you know, it's uh, it's popular right now to, to backpack hunt or to, you know, to go into hard to reach locations and all that sounds great and it is great, but you also have to be realistic about what that actually means. And is that something you're ready to do? Um, and it's doable. You just have to prepare for it. So, Yeah, I mean, from there, um, you know, you've picked a species, you've picked a state, you've narrowed down what units can I hunt, maybe what type of terrain or what type of elevation do I want to hunt. From there, it's, you know, getting really nitty-gritty on identifying what is or should be good animal habitat, Uh, you know, looking at things like food and water and cover and kind of triangulating that. And then at the same time, comparing hunting pressure. I mean, it's, it's as much as we love to talk about, uh, you know, wild places and remote areas. Uh, the fact is there's other guys trying to hunt those same places. And so you have to look at hunting pressure. Um, so, I mean, for me, that's like a super high level way of how I narrow things down, but we can definitely dive deeper into that.
0: No, that's awesome because Dimitri, I mean, even talk about when Tim was at our house at my house and the three of us were sitting down And Mark just hit the nail on the head of kind of all the things that we were discussing.
2: Yeah. And I think the hardest time is when you're trying to plan this, you, you kind of hold back just because there's so much that goes involved in planning and getting the gear that you're going to need. I think that's what a lot of people out East say they want to hunt out West, but they don't actually do it because I think they're a little intimidated. Uh, We were lucky enough that Tim actually had a spreadsheet for us that had all the gear that he used previously that we would have to get uh, for that hunt. So we started planning around February or March. That way we could kind of see, you know, we didn't have to buy all this gear at one time. We could kind of piece together each month of, you know, budget uh, what we were going to buy and and purchase. So I think that's what really helped us kind of push us over the edge to actually do the hunt. Because if you, kind of laid back and, and, and try to get everything at one time and like, oh, I might need this or I might need that. I think that's very intimidating to most people out
1: East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the cost of a tag, the cost of travel, and then if you're trying to do like a DIY hunt, especially if you're doing more of a backcountry style hunt where your gear is super important and look at the cost of that, that's an investment. Um, and keep that in mind for I'll call it for lack of better terms, the style of your hunt, right? So right. do you want to pack into the back country and set up camp and hunt from there? Uh, can you set up, you know, more of a roadside camp and hunt from a trailhead or some sort of roadside location where you can essentially hunt out of your truck? Uh, is it possible to hunt from a motel? Like there's all kinds of pros and cons on the different styles or ways you execute a hunt. And that's going to dictate how much gear you need, the type of gear you need. And you know, related to that, of course, is your budget. Um, you know, it's, we tend to backpack hunt a lot where we are packing in with everything we need to live for three or five or seven days or what have you on our backs and in our packs. Um, and so we're carrying shelters and sleep systems and food and stove and all that. And doing that, you know, is something that, even personally, I've just upgraded things over time. So it's, okay, right. it's okay to start with, you know, a cheaper tent and a cheaper sleeping bag and what have you, and basically figure out what can, what works for now and, and then make investments later. And that's honestly the best way to do it. Cause you're learning what you personally want and need. Like you're figuring out this does work, this doesn't work. And you're making those decisions for yourself. And part of what guys should keep in mind if you're out west or coming from the midwest is don't just do that call it trial process on the hunt do that beforehand so if you're in pennsylvania and you're trying a tent you shouldn't be trying that tent for the first time when you get to idaho or utah you should you know carve out even if it's just a single overnight like load up your pack or, you know, basically execute the style of hunt that you want to do, even if it is from your truck, like figure out what works, what doesn't take some test trips, go on some hikes and do all that ahead of time. And basically shorten that learning curve and do it at home where you can be comfortable and you can bail out, you know, if something goes wrong. (laughs) And so you're going, even if it's your first hunt or your first Western or your first backcountry hunt, you're going into it where it's new, but you have some level of experience, not the same experience as you'll have on the hunt, but some level of like experience and proving to yourself, uh, and to your gear that you're going into it a bit more prepared.
0: And let's take a quick break and thank our partners over at Cobra Archery. I'm using the Cobra Harvester release. I love all the adjustability that comes with this release. Not only could you change the adjustability for the travel of of your thumb trigger, but also with that, you could adjust the length, the angle, the rotation, uh, and you could securely put that in place with just one little screw. So it's built like a tank. I love the way it feels in the hand what i also love about it is that you could take off that third finger adjustment on there and you can make it just a two finger release so there this release has so much adjustability to it i really think you should give it a chance uh so check out the cobra harvester release over at cobraarchery.com yeah and i think too going off of what dimitri was saying that was the huge plus of having our buddy tim there because not only did he provide that list but he even uh, provided us with a little bit of intel was regarding with the go hunt app Uh, just because of with the regarding of of what units that we possibly could have a better chance of drawing and xyz so we kind of looked at that for our price tag and for our price point like we could let's draw a mule deer tag and in that same unit we could possibly get any a over-the-counter uh elk tag so that was our our thought process for the last couple months and then once we drew the mule deer tag in our unit uh we've kind of come to the agreement where okay if we're only hunting this x amount of days Let's just really focus on mule deer. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. And that was something where I thought at first wasn't going to be in the picture. I thought I was going to be like, hey, I want both, just in case. But you know, and then in the grand scheme of things, it was like, let's go focus on that one species. Let's go focus hard, we'll go 100 on a mule deer because I don't want to come back from the trip. And then even if I I'm, I know I could be a night. It's it's a one percent chance that I'm going to get. Uh, uh, my tag full to filled. But at the same time, I want to know that I gave a hundred percent going after just a mule deer to, to fill that tag.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. Very good point. Dedicating yourself to that species and doing what you can to hunt that specifically. I mean, to me, that also uh, makes me think of something I've personally gone through and just advice I give to other guys who aren't, um, you know, living in the West and who come out West is take that same philosophy for an area. Um, it's tempting to bounce around, especially if you look at like, let's say you just are hunting elk or just hunting mule deer, you go on a hunt this year. Maybe you see some elk or some deer have some level of encounters and do or don't fill a tag. It almost doesn't even matter. You go into next year and think, well, should I go back to where I was last year? Or should I look for a new spot? Maybe, maybe, yeah, I had some chances, but I didn't fill my tag. Maybe if I go to this other unit or this other state, maybe the theoretical grass is greener over there. Right. And so you try that spot Well, you're, you're two years in you've tried two things, it's just the nature of having very limited time and opportunity when you're, you're doing this style of hunting from out, uh, from out of state. And then you go into the third year and you're like, well, I've tried two areas. I've realized there's no magic spot. Should I try another area? Should I go back to one of the two I tried before? And so what I'm getting at is consistency, even in areas can be really helpful. Um, You know, learning, like we talk about a unit is in, it's a place, but when you look at Western hunting units, they're typically so big that even within the unit, you can have a very different experience. I've hunted... Uh, places where I've literally said one day, there's no elk within miles of here. And I've gone across one Ridge less than a half mile away. And it was like crazy rut fest. This is the best place I've ever hunted in my life. (laughs) Right. And we're talking like a difference of a day and a half of a mile. Um, and so when we talk about unit and we're talking like, there's no magic unit, to be honest with you, there's no magic spot. Like you have to go and get boots on the ground. But if you're, especially if you're hunting over the counter, um, I would do as much research as possible to try and figure out a good spot. And yeah, if you go there one time, it's a complete bust. You don't see anything. Sure. Reconsider, but if you've seen some animals and you've had some encounters, you just didn't get the experience you were expecting, meaning what is shown on hunting videos or what have you, I would stick with it. I would invest time to year after year, learn an area well that does hold the game you're after and gives you some level of opportunity, even if it doesn't appear to be perfect and invest some time in learning how to hunt that place well. And I just think you're gonna be much better off than bouncing around year after year, looking for a quote unquote magic spot.
2: Yeah. Now, what would you recommend for people coming out for the first time? Obviously they only have a limited number of days that they can hunt. Now, should they pick the first week of the season? Should they hold off and wait to the rut? Is there any way or suggestions you would give somebody in determining when they should come out?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it depends partially on what species we're talking about and even kind of what state we're looking at. Um, You know, I'll take like, we can hit others, but take Colorado for elk, for example. Um, There's no doubt that you know, it's roughly the month of September. It's not exactly the month of September. The dates change, but let's just say it's the month of September for archery season. Going earlier, you have this potential for clearly warmer weather. You have potential that elk will be less vocal or at least less vocal during the day. Maybe they're fired up at night. And you have this potential that bulls are more in bachelor groups and just not at as interested in cows yet. Therefore, you're not going to see as much aggressiveness and breeding type of behavior. That could be great. You can kill elk that time of year. And if that's when you can go, I would certainly go. You go into, let's say mid-September, things are starting to fire up a little bit. There's no certain magic on weather predicting you're going to run into the rut or not, or even what weather's going to be like. But then whether we're talking Colorado archery elk or not, I would look at this for any state in any species that I'm just using this as an example. You also run into a situation where for archery elk, it overlaps with the muzzleloader season. So right. now it's still archery season and you're in an over the counter area, let's say, but there could be more hunters specifically because you now have another season overlapping with that. Meaning there's guys chasing up with a muzzleloader, which is going to increase hunting pressure. That same thing can happen in other western states even across species right so there may be say you have one season for elk theoretically that's a month long within that there may be two weeks where it's also some sort of deer season and so just looking at all those things and keeping that in mind is important typically later in september again if we're talking elk and we're just talking generalities the elk are going to be more vocal you're probably going to have a better uh experience just in terms of hearing elk but then they can also get to the point where bulls already have cows and so they're tied up and it's harder to pull a bull away from their cows like there's all these different dynamics about even one month of hunting elk uh in september for example and there's no right or wrong answer um I, it partially honestly depends on what type of experience you want, like if you were, if you had the whole month free and you could go whenever you wanted and you understood expectations, which I think is, I mean, you hit it earlier of like understanding what true expectations are <laughs> for film Tag. You understand expectations, but you also say, I really want to go out there and be in the mountains and hear an elk Hopefully, not just for my tent, but like have this encounter where I see and hear an elk bugle or multiple elk bugle. I would say go later. Go like, uh, you know, the 18th or the 20th on if you had five or seven days. Right. Because you're more than likely going to have that experience.
0: Well, we're, um,
1: cause we, yeah, there's just, there's all kinds of ways to look at that and think about it. you know, some guys get super heavy into moon phase and all that type of deal.
0: Yeah. Well, we're not really into, into that right now. And, and the main thing was too, when we were thinking about the mule deer hunt out in Utah, uh we looked at all three of our schedules and we could have done some some finagling around with with what dates we had but we chose that first weekend uh for the opener of archery in utah and actually too going back to that hunting pressure i saw on uh, a a post on somewhere and they said about utah uh, resident hunters not drawing uh as much tag as many tags this year for what i don't know why or or if it's even mm-hmm. i don't even know if it's, it's pro- not even likely in the unit that we'll be hunting um but i just saw that uh somewhere on online the other day uh so i you know it's something where we were kind of dimitri what would you even say it would be we wanted to get out there and have that opportunity where we could hopefully get on on some deer pre- pretty pretty i don't want to say easily but have a better chance yeah.
2: Yeah, I think we just looked at it as a far of hunting pressure, uh, especially being our first time. If we can, you know, we're going to make mistakes and you know maybe not do things 100% correctly. So if we have that little bit of an advantage where they don't haven't seen the pressure, we might be more successful. So I think that's what we were kind of thinking with going with that first week.
1: Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense, especially on mule deer. And then the other thing you you know you can run into with mule deer is you know, part of what, like their natural cycle, right. Of their going from velvet to hard horned. Um, and that's not just a difference in their antlers. That's also partially like a behavior change that's happening with them. And so there tend to be, again, we're speaking in generalizations, but on more of a pattern, more of a schedule, more of a routine earlier, and then as you get later and later call it either cause they're pressured or because they're going through these changes um, you know, leading up to a different time of year and breeding season, all that they're going from velvet to hardhorn, they can change their patterns and their behavior a little bit more. Um, so again, I think for mule deer, especially, it makes a ton of sense to go early. Haven't been pressured as much. They are on more of a consistent pattern. Um, and it just makes sense. I mean, they're, they're tend to gonna be less affected by weather and hanging high and you know, there's benefits to that. So I think, you know, the way, you guys are thinking makes a ton of sense. It isn't the only time you can go kill a buck by any means. If you have to hunt later, go hunt later. But if you have the choice, like you guys said, I mean, I think it's a good approach.
2: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about elevation? You you said that there a little bit, but explain to maybe someone that's not used to hunting mule deers of maybe the elevation you might spot them early on in the season and then how that might change through the later on in the season into the rut.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not the expert there, but just again to like speak from a super high level and it when we say elevation, I, I don't want to say a number like eight thousand feet because that's <laughs> different for Utah versus Idaho versus Colorado. I mean uh high for Utah, maybe ten thousand feet or ten five where a buck's at early. Um, but then you go into Colorado and it could be at 135, right? So I don't want to talk in numbers, but in general um, you know, they will be higher earlier, um, hanging out often in more open countries, still gonna, you know, be looking for cover, right. Um, security, good places to bed and hang out for the day. There's again, as you get later into the season, there's weather can be a factor, right? So as it starts getting colder in the high country, especially if you're getting snow that can begin to push deer, they're also because of pressure, um, going to seek more cover as the season goes on, uh, more security. So that's going to tend to push them lower, right? So if they were above tree line, they're not going to come down towards more timbered areas where they can have more cover and security. Uh, and they're just not as visible. And then part of that also is the breeding factor too of these bucks were, you know, up high more on their own, but you know, they want to breed. So they're going to come down to where, um, the the rest of the deer are for breeding purposes so it's to me those are three big factors that push deer lower um would be weather pressure and breeding and that's going to happen over a period of time um and that's also can vary uh depending on what we're talking about I mean that's one of the things of mule deer are you talking like high country high mountain mule deer high desert mule deer. Uh, Again, we're just talking Western mule deer. There's a lot (laughs) of nuance to what that looks like, but in general, like those are the high level things to consider. Right, and now even to go along with that, and you mentioned it in
0: your podcast that you dropped yesterday of, of the scouting with, with Jason Wright uh, talking about, you know, using all the different e-scouting tools. And that's something that I know Dimitri goes really, really in depth with even here for our, when we hunt whitetail, especially because we're hunting mainly public land here in central Pennsylvania, um, our buddy Tim as well. So we're, I know, I after listening to that, I, Dimitri and I were actually texting back and forth a little bit. And we found it interesting how not only, uh, does Jason, but you even, t- um, talked about using Google earth more so than say like Onyx. And because you were, you have that little bit more of the, of the layer. Could you talk a little bit about, um, maybe some tips and strategies for like a beginner, uh, as far as, as what to look for, for, as far as like trying to find um, uh, some good mule deer habitat?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, if we're talking about tools like Google Earth versus, say, Onyx, um, there's a lot of other tools out there, CalTopo, and all kinds of stuff. I would say use them all. Um, you know, go back and forth. I love to look at a spot and, like, say you have this pinpoint waypoint. I love to open that in every tool that I possibly can because sometimes you're getting different imagery, you're getting different tools. It just gives you a much better um, overall idea. You know, Google Earth, I really like, Um, it's not, I mean, Onyx is unbelievably convenient for the layers, right? So you can add in certain layers and you can look at roadless highlights. You can look at migration corridors by species. Uh, There's so many helpful things in Onyx and I love it. But I like the experience of Google Earth better for the perspective. So like the way that you can pan and zoom and do all that really gives you a much better visual feel, um, for things and more of a 3d perspective. Um, it's still not perfect, but it's, it's much better than, you know, flatter satellite imagery. And so I like to bounce back and forth for that reason. Um, yeah, I mean, so we did just drop that podcast with Jason on scouting and actually the one coming next is with a guy, uh, who's also from Idaho and is a great deer hunter on locating deer. And there's, obviously crosses crossover on those two topics, but we dive in depth there. Um, and so that'd be a good one to listen to, but you know, you hear a lot about food, water cover, um, be it elk or mule deer and that stuff's true. And then, like I said, just hunting pressure is something that's going to be a huge factor as well. Right. Um, and so that's the basics, uh, that you would think of like roads, but that, you know, more and more these days, um, I even just look at not only roads, but trails. Uh, A lot of guys are okay going four or five or however many miles deep, but a lot of them are using trail systems to do that. And so sometimes you don't have to go as far. You just have to get off a trail, maybe climb a ridge, cross a, you know, a waterway, something like that, that guys overlook or don't want to do to try and find these pockets. But, um, you know, especially, I mean, animals don't, want to move more than they have to generally like they'll move when it's breeding just like whitetail do right like they'll cruise but if especially early if and especially for bucks or bulls if they can have what they need in a relatively small zone they're typically pretty consistent just hanging out there right yeah and so you're really looking for those pockets um where they can have security where they're not going to be pressured and where they're going to have what they need in terms of like food and water. Um, there's there's no magic answer there. I mean, I've, I've gone into spots before where I thought looked perfect and just didn't see sign. Yeah. Um, or I've seen old signs. So maybe it's like, oh, at another time of year, this would be helpful. Right. Um, this spot would be good, but just not right now. It's not where they're at right now. And all that stuff is really important to catalog and note. Um, I've been into great elk country that was probably great three weeks ago, but, but isn't what was great right now. It's not where the elk were. And so e-scout as much as possible. Um, but when you put boots on the ground, be ready to adapt. And that comes back to, you know, we were talking earlier about selecting a state, selecting a unit, yada, yada, yada. Don't pick a spot, pick five of them. Um, have a plan A, have a plan B, have a plan C, Know ahead of time, okay, this is where this is where I think is gonna be best. Let's go to it. Let's start here. But don't be so set on that that you, you know you hit your head against the wall. If you're not seeing sign, you're not seeing animals, don't be afraid to move.. Right. And when it comes time to move, don't go, okay, this didn't work Now, what? You need to know exactly where you're going for plan B. And that by that, I mean even the logistics of that, right? So, it's not just that you have this waypoint on a map of like, Oh, let's check this place out. If the first place doesn't, you know, pan out, like no specifically. Okay. I'm assuming I'm going to have to get from here to there and I'm not going to have cell service. So I like, if you have to get in your truck and drive, I want to know exactly how to drive there. If you have to hike in from a road, I want to know exactly what my access point is. You need to be efficient with a limited time that you have. And so when it comes to moving and going in different areas, all that needs to be uh, pre-planned for sure that's
0: that's fantastic stuff and i was even as you were going through that i was thinking back to listening to the podcast that you dropped yesterday i can't remember if it was steve or if it was jason when they mentioned about like when you're looking on the e-scout and you see all the different roads sometimes now those roads are completely like washed away like Mm -hmm. you you know and that's something where when we were looking at it the three of us tim dimitri and i we were texting back and forth like man there's there's a good bit of Good amount of roads like we might be seeing a lot of pressure and uh one of us will be going out there next month just to kind of like you said already put boots to the ground just so hopefully we could get some type of of confirmation or kind of look at it we have another month to go for as far as planning is concerned just because like you said we want to have that opportunity because we are limited to like a seven-day trip and that's including driving out there coming back home so we're looking at like we have a four or five day window of getting something like a tag punched. So, um, so
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that comes down to not only, you know, I was talking about like being able to move and know where you're going and that level of efficiency, but that's another reason why test runs with gear, right? If you guys are in for four days, um, be familiar with your gear. I mean, it might sound like super trivial, but know how to set up and tear down your tent, know how to operate your stove, know how to do all that stuff, because all that adds up. Like it's the difference between saying getting up in the morning and being ready to hunt within 20 minutes or that taking you an hour, that's 40 minutes of hunting time. And you only have four days to hunt, like make, you know, be as efficient as possible. Right. Um, And that's not to say you got to, you know, go crazy and kill yourself, but at the same time, you should. I mean, you have, you have four days. You can sleep later. You can be comfortable later. You can take your time later. Like, if you're there to hunt and you got a limited time, then get after it.
0: And for the last break of the day, I want to thank our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings. I love these strings that I have going on on the Matthews VXR 28. I love everything about them between the custom color and the performance, the technology and the quality of these strings are what stands out the most to me. And these platinum series strings now come with a two year warranty and their premium comes with a one year warranty. Call Brian over there at America's Best Bow Strings. He'll help you out with whatever you you need colorway, uh, just you know, even a, an old, old bow compared to a new bow, he'll help you out with whatever you need. So great customer service. So regardless, they still have the same Theme, unmatched quality and performance check them out over at americasbestbowstrings.com yeah that was something too that even josh kershner we had josh on a few weeks ago or months ago actually by now um we talked about and just about planning that out and actually coming up next weekend i'll be going uh just to the other side of pennsylvania we're going to meet our buddy mike uh, for a 3d shoot and i even told him i said hey the shoot's on sunday i said i'm going to just find a camp spot off a trailhead somewhere on Saturday. And uh, I want to just test out some of my gear that I have, you know, I'll be running out in Utah just to run it, just to make sure, like you said, like make sure my tent doesn't leak. And it's, if I need to get a new one, that type of ordeal. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm pretty familiar with a little bit of the gear that I have. Um, You know, I use a jet boil and all that type of stuff. And when we go family camping, I I bring that. So there's a few, there's a few things that I, that I got to test out a little bit and that's what i wanted to just try to go out on on some uh test runs here before we head out to our trip
1: yeah that's awesome
0: now a little bit too uh talking about gear and and some other strategies now what are some of the now we talked i mean we could obviously i want to do talk about the xo mountain gear uh pack because i'll be running the k3 frame with the 4800 um that's the pack that i'll be using and uh i'm excited for that just because again like i told you i ran the all day pack all spring during our hunting uh turkey season here in pennsylvania uh and i found it very very comfortable uh and just kind of talk a little bit about maybe some of your key features of your bags and how many uh what 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 your lineup kind of uh, currently looks like
1: yeah um yeah so as i said we started essentially in 2014 It was the first year in, uh, and uh steven Linney basically started XO because they were, you know, they were in Idaho, they were doing a lot of backpack style hunting and they just weren't, you go back to the time, they weren't happy with what existed. And so they they had never built a pack before and they didn't sew, but they are like, we, we got to, we, we know what would work. We just got to figure out how to build it. Um, and so they just literally started in uh, Lenny's garage with a pink sewing machine <laughs> trying to build stuff. But for, you know, for us, it boils down to honestly, the demands of a hunting pack, especially for back pack style hunting are very unique in the sense that, you know, what is quote unquote heavy for like a backpacking pack is nothing for the requirements of hunting. So if you look at like you walk into REI and you buy an Osprey or a Kelty or what have you, to them, heavy is going to be 40 pounds. And when you're backpacking, just backpacking, not hunting, you're starting the trip with the heavy load and you're coming out lighter because you're just going to consume food and you're going to come out lighter than ever. For hunting, it's the exact opposite. You're starting with maybe 40 pounds, call it, but you're hoping to fill a tag and then have to pack out a lot more weight on top of that. So you're actually ending the trip much heavier, hopefully, than when you started. Right. And so you need a pack system that is light and comfortable. It has some freedom of movement so that you can hike and get off trail and shoot a bow and get in a shooting position. That's the downside to like old external frames, which are, you know, okay at hauling heavy loads, but they're terrible to hunt in, right? They're big and bulky and loud and you can't move in them well. And then you take like a a lightweight backpacking pack and it's okay if you're just carrying your gear, but it can't haul meat out. Um, and so XO is basically like, we need to figure out a pack system that can do both and so that's what we started trying to build. That's what we've been building, uh, and been doing ever since so. Yeah, I mean, we're currently on our K3 generation pack systems. Um, all of our pack systems use the same frame. It's a titanium frame. It's really light, but incredibly strong. So it's, it's going to have good freedom of movement to move with you. Like I said, if you're hiking, uh, as you're drawing a bow, getting in shooting position with a rifle, like it's comfortable to hunt in. It's light, so it's not wearing you down when you're not carrying heavy loads. But then at the same time, we got guys packing out ridiculous weight in them all the time. Um, 60 pounds, 80 pounds is just getting started. We got guys doing hundred plus all the time. So it's essentially something that you can hunt in, but then as soon as you fill your tag, you can start hauling meat in. We have the frame system and then four different bag models. Like you mentioned, you had the 1800 you were tricky hunting with that's a small day pack and then, you know, for this mule deer hunt, you're going with the 4,800. So. You can have a system with any of our four different bag models. Um, You buy it as a complete system. You can add just a bag only later. Um, So you can swap bags on the same frame easily, or our, our bigger bags do compress really well. So we have, you know, our 4,800 is the most popular option. Most guys go with that. And even if they're only doing say like a five to seven day hunt once a year, but then they live in Iowa. And they're hunting whitetails and doing shorter trips that bag compresses really well just for that type of thing so core to us is the bag and the frame and then how those interface as well so you have a load shelf between the two so that's where you're hauling your meat um, it actually works great for whitetail hunting too i mean we are from the western market and primarily catered to that but more and more guys are realizing how effective the packs are for eastern hunting and whitetail hunting I, um, for example, I hunt with a lone wolf stand set up a lot and I can be really mobile and being able to put that between the bag and the frame is so fast and so comfortable. And then you're not dealing with that. You know, if you've carried heavy or not even heavy, but carried a hard tree stand directly on your back, you know how uncomfortable that is. So yeah. even for me, it's changed the way I hunt at home, even in Missouri. Um, you know, if being able to get to different places on public land, Uh, getting away from four wheelers and trails and like having a pack system where, uh, you know, opening day of rifle season, I packed in not even crazy far, but like a mile and a half, uh, shot a buck and then just loaded that entire buck up on my pack and hiked myself out of there. And that's, that's a game changer for whitetail hunting, even in terms of what that can do when you have that capability to get away from pressure right
0: Uh, that's something too to talk about how you said when it you don't even feel it when it's on that lighter side of of packability just because when we were like turkey hunting and i was filming for dimitri um we were going off and i'm carrying basically just a one maybe hoodie and then some camera gear in my pack and it like i at one point i didn't even realize i had it on when we set up one time just because we were walking all day uh it's a great pack and then now i just been uh putting some sandbags in the back of of the frame and when I take my dog for a walk or if I'm doing some type of workout I'm I'm throwing that on and just kinda getting used to the way that it shifts and and gets it kind of situated on my body. And I'll tell you what, I'm five five seven and where I ordered a medium sized belt and I ordered the short frame right out the out the gate it actually fits really really good um so and i i haven't really had to adjust anything so i was really happy with that just because you know you want to fit really really well to you and that's something that you guys stress even in your videos of of like the how to's um but man i'm really impressed i have no discomfort i'm really excited to to put this one to the test
1: no that's cool to hear i mean yeah we're you know we're a small company and we also sell direct um so you can't like Walk into Cabela's or wherever. And um I say Cabela's like, do those even exist anymore? <laughs> they merged with Bass Pro. But you yeah. can't walk into any, even if it's Archery Sharp whatever, and buy our packs. Like we only sell direct. But being a small company, that's part of what we love about selling direct is if you do get it and you do have questions, like you're talking directly with us about fit. Um and like you said, we have videos and things that walk you through that and really good resources, but it's always great because we can work directly with our customer of like, they have a question, they have, uh, you know, something about fit or comfort. Like it's so easy for us to work directly with them and get everybody dialed in because it can be difficult. You know, you said you're five, seven, we got guys who are six, six, you got guys who are a buck 40 and guys who are two eighty. Um, and so part of that is with our pack systems, we have two different frame heights uh, three different hip belt sizes. And there's also a lot of like fine tuning and adjustability in the pack system. So our packs can fit almost anyone, um, with the different sizing options that we have. And then fine tuning that to adjust it ideally to you is something that as long as, you know, like a few key things to look for, which again, we cover in videos, it's super easy to get it dialed in. And that's one thing that sets a pack system, like ours, apart from getting something off the shelf is a one size, Pack, one size all fits pack only works if you happen to be the size that they're designing for. Right. Uh, one size fit all just doesn't work for packs. It, you know, it just doesn't. Like when you look at not only waist size and chest girth and torso length and height, like there's just too much variability. And so you really, if you want a pack to fit well, work well, to be able to especially haul heavier loads well, it needs to fit you. Um, and so that's something we really focus on. No, that's
0: awesome. Like I said, I'm excited and uh, so far I've been really happy and I'll be definitely kind of switching over after the Western hunt to uh, the back to the day pack because I'll be running that with my kind of my saddle setup. Uh, already have that kind of figure out of how everything fits and I'm really that's excited. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. So it's it's very versatile and, and uh, it, it's fantastic quality. I, I couldn't be more happy with it. Now, before we kind of, there's, two more things that I just want to cover and are going to be kind of quick. What's that one piece of gear for a newbie coming out that you definitely were like, I know this might sound silly or you, ha- you, you have to bring this piece of gear with you.
1: This isn't the most important piece of gear, but it's like you said, when you said sounds silly and yeah. like maybe not obvious, <laughs> this is the first thing that came to mind is an inflatable pillow. Okay, um, So I never, I, you know, backpacking in like, carrying my sleeping bag and a sleeping pad. Um, I always slept okay ish, but never great. Um, and then I bit the bullet and there's multiple ones out there now. Like there's knockoffs on Amazon, but like the original, one of the originals was like a to summit. It's called an Eros pillow. Uh, it's two ounces and it literally is inflatable. So you just put a couple breaths of air in it. And having a pillow helped me sleep so much more comfortable and is worth the two to three ounces for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's like the most random thing that if a guy's new to maybe backpacking or that style of hunting, uh, it can change the way you sleep and the quality of sleep that you get is going to help you you know, be rested to hunt harder the next day. So it sounds goofy, but it's actually uh, something that I consider really important. Again, not the most important thing. Uh, you know, we could hit on boots and how important that is. Right. So you have feet issues. I mean, you're, you can literally ruin your hunt. Uh, there, there's many things that come to mind, but when you said silly for me, it was like, man, my two ounce pillow, I got to have it. (laughs)
0: That's awesome I well I I actually do have a little pillow and a um, sleeping pad little combo that I got kind of like you said a little knockoff from from Amazon just to try to like I said we're going out early so I'm not anticipating any very cold weather so I'm like you know what I'm first trip let's just try things out and we'll make adjustments from there but. Um, you no, know, you, you did mention just their boots. I'll be running, uh, the crispy Thor twos. Now, do you run any insoles when you go out there or do you just go with what's in, what's in the boot?
1: Uh, for me, it depends on the boot. Um, some factor insoles are decent. Um, some I don't care for, you know, part of that's comfort, but then part of that, um, to look at as well as the use of insoles allows you to Tailor the like the volume of the boot. Yeah, um to you So if a boot feels really sloppy or loose in terms of volume Not that it's too big like too long like you're in a different size, but just feels sloppy and loose You could go with a thicker insole. That's gonna help eat up some of that volume um, and make it fit a little bit more snug you can also look at the same thing for like, uh, you know Basically, because every boot has like a heel pocket, right? So your heel is supposed to fit in this molded portion again, everybody's foot shaped a little bit different. So sometimes you can use an insole to kind of like fine tune where your heel's riding in the heel pocket. So if you're having like blisters and getting hot spots and you kind of narrow that down to, oh, my my foot isn't sitting in the heel pocket, whether it's high or low or what have you, the choice of insole could help there. Um, and then some factory insoles are just so, honestly, it's, it's almost sad how yeah. <laughs> you can spend three or $400 on boots and they have like a three cent crappy insole on in them. You shouldn't have to replace it, but unfortunately you do sometimes. Yeah. Um, so just even from a comfort perspective, there's been boots I've worn that they feel great for two hours, but when you're on your feet all day, the insole just doesn't have enough support or cushion or what have you, um, to hold up to that. So, yeah. Sometimes like, um, if you listen to our podcast, we've talked about boots so many times and there's no <laughs> right answer, but, right. um, like we, I'll run Solomon boots a lot and their factory insoles are decent. Um, and other boots I'll replace an insole. Uh, one of my, I've run like super feet in those standard ones. Um, but one of my favorites, especially if you want something with a little more cushion and volume, uh, is there's a company in Illinois called Lathrop and sons, and they're actually like, uh, I forget, is it podiatrist, the words, feet doctor? Yep, yep. <laughs> um, That's their background, but they kind of specialize in boots and custom fitting. But anyway, they make their own insole that's very, very nice. I, it's, uh, you know, more expensive than something you would pick up in the big box store, but I've literally had a same insole from them for... I want to say seven years that I've put in all different styles of boots and it still works really well. So that's, you know, just one uh, insole that I would consider if you want to look at customizing that.
0: Yeah, actually I I
1: typed that in just right
0: now. And one of the first things when you Google it uh, put in February 25th of 2019, why does the Western hunter need an aftermarket footbed? (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, so check out, I'm going to definitely check out that, that website as well. I mean, my Thor twos are really comfortable and um, I just kind of was under the just wanted to check that out just to see, just because again, like I, I, like you said, if, if your feet are killing you, you're, you're not going going anywhere basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to boots, I mean um, like if you're in Pennsylvania, number one, I would just try and wear them yep. a lot. Yep. Um, and I mean like wear them out, you got to wear them every day, but I would try and, Oh, I'm going to be on my feet 12 hours. Even if that means like taking my family to the state fair, I have no idea, but like if there's an opportunity where you're going to be on your feet a lot, go ahead and wear your boots, even if it's hot, just to see what it's like to be on those boots for a long time. Um, and then at the same time I would specifically try and go on number one, hiking with weight because that can change things dramatically. So walking around is going to be different than hiking with 60 pounds on your back. And you'll understand how the boots, uh, hold up to that and feel with that. And then number two is don't just walk in your neighborhood. Don't just go on a quote unquote hike. That's a well-groomed trail. Like try and see how that boot performs and feels for you when you get into situations where you just don't have good footing. So side hilling or a really rocky trail, that type of thing. You want to try and recreate kind of that off trail experience. Cause that's, you know, that's how you'll be hunting uh, a lot of the time and just to see how the boot does with that. So. That's good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This just goes back to trying to test gear ahead of time and prevent issues, you know, when you're in the field.
0: Awesome, Mark. Well, Hey, we're just shy of that, that hour. And, uh, I think we hit a lot of content that we really wanted to cover and, you know, what do you have planned for, for the upcoming season? What kind of hunts are you, uh, gearing up for?
1: Um, yeah, I was, uh, I've, since I started elk hunting, which we talked about earlier, I've uh, hunted elk every year. And then last year I didn't, uh, and that's, I'm not whining because the reason I didn't is <laughs> because I was in Alaska, which was awesome, but yep. I'm super excited to be chasing elk again this year after a year off. Um, and so I'll be hunting archery season, um, in Colorado I was trying to get into Wyoming, but the, the draws were not kind to me in Wyoming. So I'll be hunting over the counter in Colorado. And then, uh, I have a rifle elk tag in October. Um, uh for idaho so i'm excited to get out there and uh, chase elk with my rifle as well so, a little bit of bow hunting rifle hunting i'll be hunting whitetail here in missouri uh nice. and then see what else comes up man i might i might try and work something else in there as well
0: awesome that sounds awesome and best of luck to you this upcoming season and thank you so much for coming on and we we really appreciate it now before you get off mark where could people find uh more about you more about exo and and uh, and and that information
1: yeah, so XO mountain Gear is just exomountaingear.com. Uh you can write out Mountain or just do M T N. It's like EXO M T N gear.com. Um I'm not out there much uh on social or anything like that personally. Uh you can email me directly. It's just mark at xomountaingear.com. So if you got questions, want to reach out, I'm happy to help there. Um I know you mentioned gear lists earlier. One of the things we have on our website uh, is quite a few gear lists. So, um, if you go to our website in the main menu, you'll you'll see it says info and there's gear lists and videos there. We call them like what's in my packs. We have a lot of guys going through what they pack in their pack and listing that gear list. There's also like a free training guide, uh, which is actually really helpful for guys who don't live in the West because the whole idea with this training guide is with minimal equipment, meaning you don't have to have a gym, but like with your pack and some very basic stuff, Here's the best way to train for hunting in the mountains when you don't live in the mountains. So, that right. maybe be something I check out. Uh, and then, if you really want to geek out on um, like backcountry nutrition and food, there's also a really cool um, free guide there, a nutrition guide for planning essentially meals for like extended hunts. Uh, and then, over there as well, is just the podcast. There's a podcast link on the website, or it's just called the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. And uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can probably find that podcast as well awesome
0: mark well thank you so much i got a lot of respect for you and steve over there and and uh, we really appreciate you coming on it means a lot and uh hopefully you listeners enjoyed this one and got something out of it and enjoyed something a little bit different as we uh get going here on the western style uh style hunt coming up these next couple weeks so thank you everybody for listening thank you mark till next time antler up and that's a wrap for another episode of the antler up podcast mark thank you so much again for coming on I got a lot out of this myself for come, getting ready to come out west. I hope other inv- individuals uh, do as well. So uh, if you really like what you heard, please go and leave a five-star review. It really means a lot to us. It helps us keep g- going on for doing what we're doing. Please reach out to us if you have anything or, or wanna hear anything in the next couple episodes as we get going. I hope you, everybody's out there shooting straight, getting the trail cameras ready, seeing some big bucks growing. Velvet, that's such an exciting time right now. Right now we're gonna be in the huge development uh, phase for 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 some deer so thank you again everybody for your support until next time antler up